Well, it's great to be with you. Um, and I, I want to thank the worship team again. I don't know where you guys all are. You're probably scattered all over the place. But what a great blessing. Um, that was just a great blessing for us. If you have your Bibles, um, I want to look just at three verses with you from Psalm 131. Psalm 131. <clears throat> I have some very bad news. In less than a month, I'm going to be 50 years old. And you believe that. And, and I'm, I'm finding that, that my theme verse is uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Though the outer man is wasting away, the inner man can be renewed day by day, you know. But, you know, one of the things I found as I'm getting older, not too quickly, hopefully, is that life is filled with limitations. I mean, when, when I was younger... There were certain things I wanted to accomplish in my life. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking to myself, that probably won't happen. There's, uh, there's things that I thought I could understand and put together. But I don't know if you're like me, but the older I get, there's, there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. Thinking of a man by the name of Beyond Cato. He went uh, to Dallas Seminary, four years through the uh, THM program, four years through the PhD program, and all he wanted to do was take the gospel back to Nigeria. That was his, that was his heart's desire. So he comes over, he spends eight years working through that whole process, goes back to Nigeria, he's there a very short time, and one afternoon, they have a picnic, while his wife is making the meal, he goes for a dip in the lake, and he drowns. And he dies. He's gone. Now, if he would have gone back to Nigeria and been martyred for the cause of Christ, that would have made sense to me. I mean, it would have hurt me, but it would have made sense. You know, I could have said, wow, in this incredible way that God's going to use this. But on an afternoon, he drowns. Does that make any sense to you? We, um, in our own seminary, graduated a year ago. A fellow who was 70 years old. He had been an engineer most of his life, wanted to go in the gospel ministry, and he came to seminary and studied. At the age of 70, he finished. And you know all he wanted to do with his life? He wanted to go over to South Africa and give his life to the gospel until he died. Does that sound like a good thing to you? I mean, not about you, but I'm thinking like, I applaud that. He graduates and he gets cancer. And then just recently, to add insult to injury, his wife took him to the hospital for the first cancer treatment. She's a sweet lady. She turned and tripped and fell, landed smack on her face and broke her nose. It seems like a cosmic tease to me sometimes. Doesn't it? I, I mean... I, I mean, I, I see those kinds of things and say, like, Lord, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> or or uh, I wouldn't have allowed that to happen is perhaps better. But, but do you know what I mean? Don't, don't you have situations like that? You look around and you say, like, what's that all about? Yeah. We've all had it even closer to home, family members contracting illness and passing away. 
you know, pr probably the closest to me would be a sister who at the age of 40 finally got married after we had prayed for <laughs> decades. <laughs> She's married four years. She tells me one day she has back trouble and in six weeks she's gone. Just, it was a strange form of ovarian cancer. And she was a wonderful Christian woman and a wonderful Christian man that she married. Could you explain that to me? I mean, the, the older I get, there's a whole bunch of situations in life where I say, that doesn't make any sense. And we live in a world where people grasp after things that they can never get. You know that Disney line, you know, if you dream upon a star, all your dreams will come true. That may work in a Disney flick, but that's just not true. It's not true. There are people, there are men that get to the point in their life where they're saying, I thought I was going to be able to move up that corporate ladder. It's never going to happen. I thought I'd have financial security. I don't think it's going to happen. I thought I'd have a perfect family. I don't. And there's one thing after another where we say, I wish I could have that. And it's elusive and it slips out of our hands. Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all had those experiences? Sometimes you find a guy in midlife, figures like, I mean, how does the world handle all these things? Guy says, I can't have, I can't have, I can't have. And sometimes he casts away his wife, just like they did in Malachi chapter 2, and tries to find a young woman to try to relive it and do it all over again. And it doesn't work. We live in a world where people say, I don't understand and I can't have. So what do you do? The world says, try harder and run faster. And when you do, it's still elusive. And you still can't have. Now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be disciplined and all, the, all those things are wonderful. But folks, you know, on certain issues, it doesn't matter how disciplined you are. It's not going to happen. So what do you do? You know, I was thinking, um, I had seen uh, the play... Les Mis, several, uh, I don't know, honey, when was that? Two years ago? Something like that. It's a, we, we love it. My, it's, that's my favorite. And, and I know Susan Broyle, Boyle, whatever her name was, that the, the English woman, she popularized this thing. So, but, but nonetheless, listen, just listen to one clip of a woman without Christ that comes to the realization that she can't have. She says, he slept the summer by my side. He filled my days with endless wonder. He took my childhood in his stride, but he was gone when autumn came. And, and still I dream he'll come to me and we'll live our lives together. But there are dreams that cannot be. And there are storms we cannot weather. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. So different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. You know, a lot of people live and die. And that's their theme. You say, well, this is real encouraging, Doug. Thanks for bringing us out on a Sunday morning. 
But that's how some people live. And, and how about this idea of trying to make sense of life? I don't know if you read it. It was, it was about a year or two ago. It was a very, very popular book written by a guy who had professed that he had known Christ as a teenager and has totally walked away from it all. He's an agnostic today. His name's Bart Ehrman. And um, personally, I've done a lot of reading of his stuff for a variety of reasons. But he's written a book recently called God's Problem, How the Bible Fails to Answer Our Most Important Question, Why We Suffer. And Ehrman basically says he's come to the point in his life where because life doesn't make sense, um, then God doesn't make sense, and therefore there must not be a God. And he's written a whole book supporting that for just the normal person on the street. And unfortunately, it's had a pretty good, it's had, a, from his perspective, a pretty good impact, not from my perspective. And there's, there's flaws all the way through it. But, but once again, is that the way you handle the unanswered questions in life? That's what Ehrman does. Do you live despondent in despair? There's got to be a better way. Because the bottom line, for everybody in here, there are things you will never understand and there are things you will never have. That's the way it works. David, David gives us another option. In Psalm 131, you'll notice this is called a song of ascents of David. And there's some debate on here, but, but probably what we're looking at, there was a series of songs that they would often sing as families as they would go up to the festivals. And, and this is one of them. So the idea is they would, they would memorize this and they would actually literally sing this to each other as they're going up to Jerusalem itself. And this particular one comes from David. Breaks down very simply. There's only three verses, so I can't speak that long. In the first two verses, David gives a testimony. He says, look, I just want to tell you what God is doing in my life. And he just shares a testimony. And in that testimony, he tells you what he doesn't do and what he does do. And then in verse 3, he makes an exhortation to us. He says, look, this is what you guys need to do. So I just want to walk through that with you. But this is David's response to life that is filled with things that we cannot understand and things that we can never have. Notice what he says in verse 1. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not, are, not, are not raised too high. Now what's interesting, the, the Psalms will often do this. They, they paint pictures for us. And this one is a Psalm that moves from the inside out. And, and, and David says, what people don't realize is, if, if you're not very, very careful, pride by its very nature is a self-centeredness that says, I can make this happen. I can figure it out. So, so David says, you know, if whether you look at my heart or whether you look at my eyes, I'm not cocky. Do you ever see like a sports player after they kick a goal or something? What do they do after they make a great shot? You know what I mean? Yeah. Their, their eyes are lifted up, right? It's indicative of a heart that's lifted up. What I love is when they trip or something after they do that personally, but... That's a little bit sadistic, but I do kind of like that when those things happen. But anyway, David says, you know what? 
That's not how I live my life. It's not all about David and what David wants and what David will have. You know that song that Frank Sinatra sings, I'll Have It My Way? That may be a pretty tune, but it's terrible theology, isn't it? And, 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 and David says, I don't live by the theme, I'll have it my way. I lead differently. It's not about me. Um, okay, David, tell us more. Let me tell you what else I don't do here in verse 1. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now, let me just unpack that with you a little bit. Uh, this word great that you see there in the text, it's used a lot in the Old Testament. And it's often contrasted between, there's, it's, there's often this contrast between great people and insignificant people. You know what David's saying in this psalm? David's saying, I've chosen not to live my life in such a way that I'm always reaching out to attain something so that people can look at me and say, wow, he's great. Well, look at Finkbeiner. Like, wow, like, wow, look at him. You know, he, thanks, you know. David says, you know, I, I've gotten to the point in my life where, where I'm just not going to live that way. It, it, it's not about attaining things so that either I can feel good about myself or people can look at me and say, man, alive, I, I wish I could be like him. Funny thing about trying to attain great things. Sometimes people reach out and they try to grab things that are innately sinful in and of themselves. Remember when David numbered the people? Remember that? Now, there was nothing right about that from the get-go. But it was something for him to reach out and say, wow, if I can number the people, everybody will see just how great a king I am, right? And God would have none of that. But you know what's tricky to me? Reaching out for great things doesn't always mean we're reaching out for things which are wrong in and of themselves. I may reach out for something that is not at all wrong, but God just doesn't have it for me. How about building the temple for David? Anything wrong with wanting to build a temple for God? I don't know about you, but I think, I mean, that would be like high marks on my, from my perspective. But David approached God and said, boy, I want to build you a temple. And Nathan came back and said, David, that great thing, that significant thing, it's not for you. And David accepted it. See, that's the tricky thing about great things. It doesn't mean they're wrong. They might be. They might not be. It just means as I move toward them, I don't demand them in my life. I don't say, God, I must have that or else life comes crashing down. No. David said, I've worked through life and there's some things that are just too great for me and I've chosen, I'm not going to occupy myself there. I can just be faithful and steady and do what God calls me to do. Be a good steward of my time. Be a good steward of my energy. All that stuff is true. Absolutely. But I'm not going to occupy myself with greatness. Because it will only come crashing down upon me. Okay, David. What else? David goes on to say, I don't occupy myself 
with marvelous things. Now that word is really interesting in its use in the Old Testament. But the place it surfaces that's most significant to me is in the book of Job. Remember it in Job's life. It's Job's story is such a fascinating story because what we, what, what we know, we know something that Job did not know, right? There was this cosmic interaction between God and Satan that, that, that Job knew nothing about. All he knew is that he had lost his, all of his family, all his kids except his wife and, and all of his riches and he was in incredible pain. That's all he knew. And he got to the point as the book of Job develops this starts wearing away at him because his friends keep coming at him and coming at him and coming at him and saying, Job, if b- bad things happen to bad people, so you must have done something wrong. And he just keep, and they were wrong. That was a wrong statement to say, but that's what they kept saying. They kept coming at him, coming at him. And finally, Job gets to the point when you get to close to chapter 37, 38, Job, Job comes to the point in his life where he says, stop. God, you owe me an explanation for how you rule your world. That's pretty strong, folks. But that's where David gets. Uh, David, did I say David? Yeah. Job. I mean Job. When I say Job, anyway, I mean Job. Okay. Yeah, I, so just work with me. Okay. <laughs> if I get the wrong name. And then God comes to him, remember, in a whirlwind? Yeah. Remember he asked him a whole series of questions? Yeah. Job, where were you when I created the earth? I, well, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't here. Uh, yeah. uh, do you know how I actually made the story? Uh, not, 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 not exactly. How about the animals? You know how I did that? You know how I did the thing with the sea? Mm, I have to work on that a little bit. No, I'm not real sure. You know, I mean, just ask them one question after another question after another question. And, and, and by the time you get to the end, you get to the end, it happens in two cycles. And after the second cycle in chapter 42, Job says, you know what, God? I was concerning with myself with things too marvelous for me. Same word. And what Job was saying is, there are some things, God, I will never understand, but I don't need to. I don't need to know why. I only need to know that you're the great who. And I can rest in you. That's where Job got. And what I love about the story of Job is that God never came to him and said, hey, Job, let me... Satan was like saying this to me and I said this. You know, none of that, is it? God just comes and says, I'm God. That's it. Job says, I leave those things with you. That's exactly what David is saying here. God, I will not occupy myself with things that are unexplainable. That helps me a lot, folks. I don't have to figure out the puzzle. All I've got is a piece here and a piece there. And I don't know how it works together. But one day in glory, we'll see that whole thing together. What, what do they call that? Is it crocheting? Is that, is it, ladies, is that the right word? You know, it was a beautiful thing on this side. But you look underneath and it just looks like a muddled mess. Is that? Whatever crossed it, whatever it is. It's that lady thing. You know, what I'm, everybody knows what I'm talking about, Okay. I've never done it. I've only seen the finish. But what I've, you know, one time, sometimes that stuff gets flipped over. And you look at the, ooh, ooh, that doesn't look real good. And what I've often thought, in my life, all I see is the bottom of the cross stitch. I just, I just like, that, like, 
That doesn't look real good. And one day from glory, we'll look and say, oh, that's how it worked together. Which is why Philip Yancey said, faith is accepting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. That's profound and it's really true. And David said, you know what? Life is filled with inequalities. Life is filled with uncertainties. My dreams don't always work out. And, and, and God, I'm not going to occupy myself there. Oh, if I can't have that, then my life. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. Well, then, David, what are you going to do? Look at verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Um, did you ever have one of your, when my kids were younger and something outside terrible happened, at least from their perspective, they would come running in, <laughs> Dad, Dad, wait, no, 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 calm down a second, right? I mean, they're shaking, they're shivering, no, just calm down, okay, calm down. Okay, 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 now what, what, Billy, okay, okay, we're going to find out about Billy here. No, no, just, what do you mean? No, 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 okay, no, we're not going to do that. We're just, no, I, I, it's okay. No, let's just kind of talk this. And you know what, you, as a parent, you try to calm them down from all of the activity. And then you want them just to quietly express themselves. David says, I've had to do that with my soul. My soul is just like that little children. He comes in and it, it, <laughs> it's just all over the place. It's, it, it's frantic. And I've had to calm my soul. Now, folks, if David said I've had to calm my soul, that means his soul wasn't always calm. Do you see? And see, this is David's testimony to us. He's saying there's times when my life is just like this and, and I, I just, I can't rest. It's, it's awful. But David said, I've calmed my soul. And he says, let me give you an image. Like a, like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, my... Uh, Dear wife, with all six of her children, uh, nursed. And um, it wasn't at all unusual for, um, for me to pick the child up. I mean, what was nice early on when I, you know, I obviously couldn't feed this child. In the middle of the night, when the baby was waking up, I'd nudge my wife and say, Honey, I, might as well, no reason for both of us to be up. Only one of us can feed this child. You know, might as well be you. You know, I mean, you know, like, I can't do a whole lot. But... But, you know, at other times when, when I wasn't so selfish, I would say, at least I'll go get the child. I would go up and I would hold that baby. And that baby would start rooting like crazy trying to get milk from me. You know, at some point you want to explain, uh, you can try, but it's just not going to happen. I mean, just, <laughs> nothing's going to happen here. Like, but, but when that child is hungry and rooting like that, they're just moving all over the place. What this text is saying how about when a child is weaned? It's no longer drinking from its mother's breast. And the child falls and slips and bruises its knee. The child comes running to the mother. 
hops up in that mother's arms. And oh, you know what happens. Sometimes a child will hop in your arms. <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't that true? And then eventually, <sighs> fall asleep. Am I right? Yes. David says, that's how it's become in my heart with God. My natural tendency with things that I don't understand and things I cannot have is to be like this and out of kilter and run harder and try, you know, all the stuff, all the stuff. And he says, stop. Crawl up into the arms of God and relax. Now, it's good you go there and you'll whimper initially when you're there. That's part of who we are. That's the lament psalms, isn't it? David knows how to do that all over the place, but he goes to the right source. And like a weaned child, David says, is my soul within me. David kind of has almost, almost kind of counsel himself. Do you ever do that with yourself? Like you're doing something wrong. I find that sometimes I'm, 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 I'm doing something. Maybe I'm talking to one of my kids and I'm thinking to myself, I'm disciplining them, but the timing is totally wrong right now. And in my mind, I'm saying, Doug, stop. Like, stop. And sometimes I listen to myself and sometimes I don't. And, and there's other times when you get up and you're just kind of grumbly, grumpy and you say, Doug, what are you doing? I don't know. Yeah, you're almost talking to yourself a little bit there. <laughs> David does that, doesn't he? He says, I've had to calm my soul. In another psalm, one of the other psalmists will say, I said to my soul, my soul, why are you cast down within me? I mean, we do that. The psalmists do it. And it's a constant reminder. Remember whose you are. You're God's. When I think of the New Testament, there's a lot of things I don't know about, about why things happen, bad things. But there's a fair amount I do know, right? I know God can perfect me through these things. I, I, I know that all things work together for good. I know a whole bunch of things. And you know what else I know? I know from Romans chapter 8 that God says, if I did not spare my own son for you, but gave him for your deliverance, there is nothing good that I will withhold from you, that I believe is good for you. I know that too. So there's, there's a lot of things I know from the New Testament. I know God is for me. He only calls me to be faithful. That's it. But there's still a lot of things I just don't know. And there's still a lot of things I will never have. And David says, when you're thinking like that, you need to get to the point in your life where you don't occupy yourself with that you crawl up into the arms of God and you rest. Which isn't always easy. One of my boys was young, really young. First year of, mar uh, first, first year of marriage. First year of his life. There we go. Um, he had to get an outpatient um, procedure. And I was allowed to go with him and hold his hand through the whole thing. And, uh, and it was a painful thing for him. Here he is. I mean, he's only, I don't know, it's a month or two old. And I still remember him holding onto my hand as they were doing this procedure, squeezing my hand, and I'm squeezing his, because I'm, I'm kind of crying, because I'm like, I'm watching this thing. Because the kid's like, hey, Dad, like, why, don't, why don't you do something? I mean, yeah, that's kind of your sense. Like, why aren't you doing something? Why are you letting them do this to me? And, 
And I, I, knew, I knew it needed to be done. And, and, and there's times in our lives we crawl up in the arms of God and we say, God, I don't understand any of this, but I'm with you. And that's where I need to be. David shares his heart with us, folks. David says, I've seen a lot in life. I've seen a lot of things happen. I've, I've, God's given me a lot of opportunities. But you know, I've come to this point in my life where I say I'm not going to have it be about David. I'm not going to try to run without God or before God. I'm going to run with God. I'm going to run for God. Yes, I'm going to do all those things, but it's all about him. And in the process, there'll be things I do not understand. And there'll be things I can never have. And that's okay. Oh, I don't like it all the time. I have to calm my heart, you know. Gets unsettled. But it's okay. Because God is here. And in the person of his son, he is always for us, folks. He is never against us. So David comes to the very end, and notice what he says in verse 3. He's now ready for his exhortation. O Israel, hope in the Lord. That term Lord, it's a term Jehovah. If you remember, folks, the term Jehovah was God's personal name for his people, wasn't it? And David says, look, whatever you go through, O Israel, you can hope in that personal God. He's not just the God who is there. He is there. But the God who is there is here. And you can hope in him. Notice how he finishes it off. From this time forth and forevermore. You know what I love about that? David says, regardless of what you've done in the past and where you've been and what you've experienced, from this point on, look at the personal God. And we would say, look at the God who's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we would say, right? Christians, the Christian God. You can hope, on, hope in him from this point forward and no matter what you experience, things you don't understand, things you cannot have, you can rest in him. And you'll be just fine. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forevermore. A single parent, hope in the Lord. Married couple who are struggling, hope in the Lord. Parents, uncertain what to do with your children, hope in the Lord. Member of the church who has lost your job, hope in the Lord. Everyone in here, man, woman, boy, girl, teenager, this is for you. You're not an exclusion. You're not an exception. You're included. So wherever you find yourself, with all of our limitations, we can rest in our limitless God. Let's pray.